The Seven City Podcast is dedicated to interviewing artists in the Chicagoland area, their supporters, and developers. Join us on our journey as we look at all aspects of the seven arts. M, how was your week this week? It was phenomenal. So this week, I got to go home, and home for me is about seven hours south. So I packed up my dog and my husband and we drove seven hours south and I got to spend about four or five days with my parents on my farm in Indiana, where I have not been for about 15 to 16 months. So it was my first time seeing my mom in a long time. It was great. And then we went and spent uh, the rest of the week with Vince's family in Indiana. So I had just a really nice, long, relaxing week with my people. And uh, I saw your video or your mom's video. <laughs> oh yeah! When you guys greeted each other, it made me cry. Actually, <laughs> well, my mother does so that thing where growing up, they used to have a very long driveway too, and they yeah. used to grab pots and pans and bang on pots and pans with wooden spoons whenever anybody pulled up. And it was a way of letting the adults inside know we're a very, very big family. Um, and obviously, yeah. clearly, we live in Indiana where there's nothing to do but bang on pots and pans. So. <laughs> She forgot, went that and instead decided to record it. I, I wasn't really sure if she was recording or not, but immediately when she stopped, we both just started crying. <laughs> so we were so excited Aww. to see one another. What did you oh, do? What was your so week sweet. like? Oh my gosh. I was just trying to remember. Oh, I had the first um, in-person church service, but it, it, it was streamed. So, But the thing that was unique for me you know, in contrast to 2020 was that I got to make music in person with a pianist for the first time in like a year plus. And I cried my eyes out. Like I was just bawling (laughs) because it was such a beautiful experience. Um, And I, I I was, uh, I had the delight of working with Christopher Owen, who's going to be our conductor for the Brahms Requiem in the fall. And, and I just, oh my gosh, it was, uh, it was so special. And we, we didn't do anything super fancy, but we really got to make some beautiful music. Um, it was, uh, it was so lovely. I look forward to seeing you again this weekend, and we're having people come into the church this this week, so mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be so amazing. Oh, amazing. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited about music again in person. I miss the, it sounds weird, but I miss the feeling of a piano's reverb in the air behind me. <sighs> that does not sound strange to me at all. <laughs> I did not realize how much I missed that until it happened, and I was like, oh, I forgot this is what collaborating is like (laughs) well um speaking of collaborating I think we should bring in our guest Felix Gerard what do you think yes I'm so excited (laughs) I'm so excited to speak with him today well listeners we have for you today our amazing composer and collaborator Felix Gerard who is the composer of our pride concert which is on June 24th Felix, hi, welcome. Hi, Joanna. Hi, Emma. Hi, Elijah. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh my gosh, it is a pleasure. (gasps) Yeah, Emily and I have been doing a deep dive on your concerts and all of your content that you posted on your website. And I just have to say, 
number one, you're prolific. Oh, yes. <laughs> and number fan girling out over here. <laughs> <laughs> number two, you're just so approachable as a composer. And it's really, really wonderful to to experience as an audience member, um, you know, music that is contemporary because obviously you're here with us. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, but that is so, <laughs> so approachable. And it's not that it's not intellectual and there's not, you know, a lot of uh, highfalutin, you know, 20, 20th century music information coming at you, but it still feels like, um, a warm and and present experience for me, thank and I, I just want to say thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I I love to um, I love to share music with my audience. I think one one thing I love about music is like you can share stories, you can share ideas, and a lot of things. And I love just to communicate that to a wide audience, and that's my goal as an artist, just to like get those concepts out there to as many people as possible. And in school, what um, I learned as a composer is get your ideas out there in the simplest form possible so that many, as many people can do it. Not saying to not make it like there isn't intrinsic things to work out and stuff, but there is an element of, oh, you this piece is doable. This piece is singable. This piece is playable, you know? So I, I work very hard at that to make sure that I'm translating it into something that works. Can we talk about how much I appreciate that as a producer as, as a singer and as a director and as a producer, having a piece of music that somebody really put that thought into being as clear as possible, but also opening up those possibilities, that's what I meant when I said friendly. You're, that is yeah. the nicest gift you could give to any production team because it yeah. really does yeah. like allow them a space to play and work in their own vision, but it, is, it, does, it doesn't dictate to them what they have to do. Yeah, absolutely. And also just like being clear with markings and what you want there and just making sure that the information that you need in the score to communicate that comes through or like open it up for discussion. That's like super important. And I, and I think like what not not to shade on how composition is taught, but sometimes in some programs it's taught as like something that's so um, highfalutin and unable to be like appreciated by the masses that it's like so intellectual so it's kind of I kind yes. of am out of yeah. that camp like I love like intellectual music but it's not the only kind of music that I love you know so I think that's sure. like yeah so that's one thing I'm trying to do with my work is like hey new music is like it's approachable and it's like it can be about things that you actually care about you know well, what, other, <laughs> what other musical styles do you love and how do you feel like they've influenced your work because you have such a wide variety of work you've got what, eight operas yes. I'm looking at, over 119 works, art songs. Ten books. operas, actually, but yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, you have to tell me, what's your favorite kind of music to listen to when you're just turning off and enjoying yourself? Oh. Do you think it influenced your style? Uh, so, yeah, um, when I, so I work as a composer and collaborative pianist in opera a lot. So I'm around art song and opera all day and night. So when I am not doing that, I'm listening to pop. I'm listening to Britney. I'm listening to Kesha, Dua Lipa, Lizzo. Like the, that's my bread and butter because like for me, classical music is work. And so when I'm yes. in it, I'm, I'm not, it sounds weird. I'm not listening it 
to it to appreciate it in that sense as an audience. I'm listening to it, like analyzing it either as a composer when I'm working on something or as a pianist when I'm working with a singer or doing a new piece or something. So I love pop music and it has influenced my style a lot because I do I do have rep that is cross ovary or references musical theater. And I don't think that's a bad thing because that's what I love. And mm-hmm. that's kind of like, I feel like if you look at the development of musical theater, especially in America, it follows side by side with opera for a very long time. So yes. it's not like, I mean, writing music in English that is like, do like, you know, has like an element of approachability that it, it, it inadvertently uh, clashes or coincides with musical theater tradition because it's so tied to singing in English, you know, in a stage piece. So I've, I've decided to embrace that in my work. And I like, I love doing that. And I love playing with that boundary because it's super fun for me. Um, I had a song cycle I wrote last year called Happy. And the idea of the first half was that it was more classical leaning. And then in the second half, it started to go into straight up musical theater pop with some rock influence so it kind of like it kind of it's kind of went from like almost britain and schubert to like um radiohead and then like contemporary broadway and so kind of yeah and so i love playing with that um because i feel like there's a lot within that and i love also the approachability of pop music because i feel like especially lyrically it can communicate things that classical music sometimes doesn't because it's so because the language is there's so many different things with language and also with poetry and that's its own Mm -hmm. wonderful thing like analyzing poetry but what I love about pop lyrics is that it's like really easy to you don't need to think too hard about it to understand what's going on and I love that and that's why I love like alternative rock music and folk music that stuff is super interesting to me I love jazz um I wrote a opera tabula rasa with my very frequent collaborator B Goodwin that is I call a jazz opera and there's a lot of improv there's a lot of jazz harmonies that I put into it with classical singing um so I love like all kinds of popular music styles and that's a huge influence for me. It's not the only thing I do, but it's like when I'm turning off my brain from work, that's what I put on on Spotify, you know? Totally. I completely agree with you. I feel like sometimes there's this big push that we want crossover work, right? In the classical world, because that's how you live. You can't just do one thing anymore. You have to do many things in order to, you know, survive and keep paddling. But I feel like there's this unspoken um snobbery towards musical theater and it's almost like we reject the commercialism right of musical theater because we don't want to do ridiculous stuff that has no meaning and no point but we've almost swung so far the other way in the classical world where it's all so intellectual we're just so full of shit it drives me crazy (laughs) i love that you said that that beautiful clarity and Pop music, I mean, if you think about it, you could argue it's all one emotion anyway. It's basically Baroque music. (laughs) No, exactly. And it's also like very, it's very direct. And what she said about like the approachability of classical music is so true because yes, the great works have that, but there's a certain element of being um, accustomed to the styles of of what's going on and the language of the libretto and the way Resset's done, there is that. And those works are relatable and there's great music, but to the average person, that's not always going to translate, you know, because it's such a, Mm -hmm. it's such a focused tradition. Granted, it's 
the art form that I've decided I want to dedicate my life to writing. So I'm saying this is someone who's devout into opera, but it's, it's, it's very, it's very specific and it's honestly very small. So like, and also with musical theater, yeah, like embracing commercialism and stuff, but also like, it's also like something that like not every opera singer can do too. And so like when I work with like singers and they're, they're kind of, a lot of singers are like kind of embarrassed about, they're like, Oh, like I can do musical theater. I'm like, fucking go for it. Do it. Like, that's awesome. Not everyone can do it. And there's a lot of great music. There's a lot of great opportunities. So like a composer I love and admire so much is Kurt Vile. And that's crossover yes, city yeah. because I love how he meets the classical tradition with the popular elements and the American songbook. I fucking love those songs because what they do is they kind of yes. mirror two things into each other. And it's got this, um, it's got this amor, it's got this sultriness, it's got this kind of um, uh, ingenuity in how things are portrayed that you don't find in other uh, art song traditions in the same way, you know? And also it's like also part of America's musical heritage. And there is yeah. a very rich musical heritage here. And I think that's something that also should be utilized because I'm not European, I'm an American composer and I right. love the music that there's so much interesting music and it from all over the country, even stuff I haven't explored and, I I just think like a lot of people kind of overlook that for, you know, bullshit. <laughs> yeah, for a long time it was like you want the niche, and now it's like I want everything. Give it to me. I want variety. Mm-hmm. Well, so uh, sorry to steal your question, Em, but no, that's great. Emily brought up a really interesting question for you earlier, which is how do you choose the text that you work with? And yes. when you were talking about pop music, it made me think of that question mm-hmm. because you obviously love great poetry, which Emily and I know because of studying your songs in depth. Yeah. But if you love pop music for its, its you know, sort of straightforwardness, what what draws you to a text? Tell me, tell me everything. <laughs> so, um, okay, so I, I I love reading. Reading is one of my favorite things in life, and it inspires me to, to write music, to think about things, um, so many things. And also, when I so when I write as a composer, I kind of have a three pronged approach. Um, well, four pronged. Um, I have. My works with B. Goodwin, which are central to my output with her as a lyricist librettist. I have other mm-hmm. collaborators I've worked with on other projects, such as um, B.L. Foxley on a song cycle called Stardust and Thomas Blakely on one of my operas, Washington Square. Um, then I also um, write on poetry from the greats that we know and we love, Thomas Hardy, Rilke, Lanau. Um, I've done a Rambeau setting. Um, so those things are really inspire me. I just wrote a setting of a William Blake poem called Mad Song. So those kinds of things really do inspire me. And then the last one is I write my own texts. So I love, I love writing and I love putting my perspective. I went to a liberal arts school for my undergrad, Marlboro College in Vermont. And it, they really um, emphasize this idea called the clear writing requirement and the idea of just expressing yourself like in a very clear setting within all these different kinds of academic things. And basically in that college, you created your all your own majors. So the only thing you had to do was show you could write clearly. So um, when I write, I try to like do things for that. 
Um, and so when I'm like choosing a text, I usually hear the music in my head as I'm reading it. Um, or if I'm writing it, for example, uh, I go back to Happy. The There's a song in Happy called Rhode Island. And I write a lot of stuff based on my personal life. So basically there was this person in my life, um, a, a, a former friend who like, responded to one of my newsletters after the fact, like six years. And he said, I'm sorry for how I treated you. It was really wrong of me. And I feel really bad about it. And I don't know how to explain that. And I, it was six years after the fact, so many things had happened. And so um, I can't, in my head, when I was processing how to talk to, talk to him, I came up with this uh, lyric of, because uh, it was from because he was in Rhode Island um, like you wrote me from Rhode mm-hmm. Island and I really don't know why um, you wrote me after six long years I thought we said goodbye and basically the idea of like someone trying to intrude into your life so long after the fact after you had sworn them off and you were on to the next chapter of your life was something that really yeah. appealed to me and so my brain went, oh my gosh, this is something I have to write about because sometimes I write, I write most of my music for myself to like deal with shit in my life and not really for anybody fucking else. Like it's because like, this is like (laughs) an industry where there's like, it's no one, you can barely call it an industry, honestly, with how you you do it because you love it. You don't do it because like there's other fucking motivations. So that doing that, like, and writing that, so that really inspires me. And then also like when I um, like look at like Thomas Hardy, he has a uh, poem called Memory and I, and I immediately mm-hmm. heard the music from that opening interval for it when I read it. So it's almost like when I'm writing something and I'm dealing with it in my life, that makes me want to create it into music in a way that like I could otherwise not express it or deal with it. And then when I'm working with other texts, I just hear the music in my head when I'm reading it, which is like- that is- so interesting it's kind of like it's kind of it's kind of like schizophrenic but i don't think it is because i'm not crazy i swear i'm not but (laughs) no it sounds like synesthesia to me that's what happens to me when i listen to music i see things Ah. so you have you have the opposite you see something and you hear something so i think you just have synesthesia maybe I I've never really thought about that as like because I I sort of just like I get so I'm so obsessive with text like I because I'm always like oh my god it's so bad my roommates think I'm crazy like I always will go around talking to myself and so like um I was visiting my mom uh over one of the holidays and I was coming out of the shower and she's like what's going on like what's go I'm like nothing and then she's like you're you're singing to yourself and I didn't even realize that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I was like, oh, um, well, there's this thing I was thinking about. So it's sort of like, also, I don't realize it sometimes because it's just like my head's always on with thinking about things. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. I kind of went off on a tangent, but. No, I love that. We encourage tangent. Well, good. Good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Emily and I earlier, I mean, I don't know if I should reveal this or not, but we're like, how do you compose things? Like, how do you do that? And that's basically, so now you just told me you're just exactly. processing all of the time. Yeah, basi- basically all the time. I And I think about it when I sleep. It's like, it's kind of unhealthy, but it also drives me and keeps me focused <laughs> in a good way. So, yeah. yeah. 
I don't know. I think it's really interesting. It's it's constant, you know, reaction and engagement with the world around you. I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I feel so that. I yeah, wanted I'll to ask you. Oh, sorry. I'm interrupting. Oh, no, you're fine. You work like unbelievably well with a ton of people. I'm just, I mean, just looking at your resume alone, like you can obviously see you've, you're really amazing when it comes to collaborating, but you work a lot with B. Goodwin. How did you guys find one another? How do you, how does Felix identify a collaborator that he wants to work with? Oh my goodness. Um, so B. Goodwin directed um, more than five, oh, it's five years ago almost. Gosh, time, time is Wow. So when I was an undergrad, as I said, my college did not have majors. You created what you wanted to do and you did the damn thing. I wanted to write and produce an opera on Edgar Allan Poe's Fall, The House of Usher. And because it was a liberal arts college, they gave me grant research to research putting on an opera. And so I needed a director and B. Goodwin directed the Vermont production and then the sold-out off-Broadway production at the Domena Center. And that's how we initially met through, because one of the adjunct theater professors um, worked in New Jersey and um, recommended um, a friend who recommended her. And so we found each mm-hmm. other and it was the first opera she ever directed because she came from straight theater and musical theater and acting. And then she came into the Poe piece and she fell in love with the genre. And from there, she, she's had a fabulous career so far directing opera because of that. And then started writing, she's always been writing lyrics and texts, but then putting that into classical music. Um, the next work we did after Usher was a song cycle called Songs of the Soul Beams, which went up four years ago at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. And that came about because during the course of the fall of the House of Usher, my dad passed away and so did her grandmother. And so there was a lot of grief processing throughout that time. And we wanted to create a song cycle it's that true. commemorated that grief. And so that came about. And then from there, we did an opera... Uh, tabula rasa jazz opera and then also a christmas carol and opera and then we have um then uh an other opera called uh patience and pearl which went up with barn opera last year and then one uh with no dominion theater called hindsight which features also one of the singers on the core pride concert uh joe butel so um so we like uh work all the time and I have like countless songs with her art songs all that stuff uh scene to song musical theater so I guess when I look for a collaborator I just look for someone who like brings ideas to the table that I can work with because I want to work with other people not because of what I think I want to know what they think and I want to bring that into what I do and so like um through B I met um one of uh one of my uh dearest collaborators Allison Gish who uh, created the lead role in Mother Goose uh she did the wine mom and tabula rasa and she brought so many ideas to the table for not only like songs but also like just concerts and recitals and we um do recitals together all the time and it's just so wonderful and then becky richardson is another one and um there's many others i'm not naming right now but um, also gabriel hernandez and they are another singer on the hindsight project um who comes to mind so like basically like and sort of like it feeds into all of that. And then I know how to like work with them on what they all want to do. And we not only like create art that's meaningful, but we also like become kind of like this nuclear New York fan. That's like super nice. Absolutely. And so it's like, we enjoy making art together. And also, yeah. And I do that also a lot with um, another singer, Eugenia Forteza. Um, 
Ash. So uh, we've done, oh my God, so many projects together and we just did a live stream back in April. So yeah, lots of different things. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're finding a group of people who are fascinated by the same stuff that fascinates you. And like, yeah. I love that. I, <laughs> that's a, exactly that's why Joe and I get along so well. Yes. Yeah. No, totally. Our listeners know that, you know, CORE is all about building community. And that's what really drew me to you, Felix. When yeah. we talked, I was just like, oh, this guy is on it. And plus, your music is amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy one for me to uh to say yes to um so uh this is one of my favorite questions what do you think led you to become a composer okay so this is a funny story so um when I was a kid um I my parents were not really musical at all like at all and nothing to do with music but um I wanted to always stop by a friend's house that had a piano and it mm-hmm. was like a road that you always have to go down from the town where I grew up in Connecticut to go out to do errands and go anywhere so it got to be a mm-hmm. huge problem because all the time I'd say as like a toddler I want to go to this person's house and play the piano and so I think out of frustration and also just like, just so that I'd shut up because I was kind of a brat when I was a kid, um, they got a piano. And so, and so I still have that piano here in my, um, I still use it till this day, actually. I got it. So yeah, my, my Yamaha upright. Um, And so that like was what really, um, that instrument and then studying piano and then composing kind of really came together and I also did a lot of ballet when I was younger and I loved ballet mm-hmm. music and I, like I'd always dance in the nutcracker and I do I, I I was like really flexible as a kid so I used to do gymnastics and stuff like I could walk on my hands do like cartwheels I, I was like wow. I was like I was yeah which I can't do anymore but like back then it was like oh you want me to walk <laughs> on my hands sure I can do that um so um I well, my first piece I wrote was called The Firebird because like LOL ballet music um, when I was five. So it sort of like came out of that actually. And then from there, I just wrote, I played a lot of piano and I kind of just wrote music as I did that. And then I saw my first opera when I was, um, I believe when I was 10 or 11, it was The Marriage of Figaro. Um, and it was in, I believe, Pelham or New Rochelle. Um, uh, and from there I fell in love with the form my piano teacher Burton Hathaway who was my main mentor uh, he's a big piano pedagogue wonderful um he had a huge collection of opera cities and a library and it was also all the bel canto opera so all the obscure caballet sills calas recordings from like Bellini Donizetti Rossini uh Verdi um all of those guys and just so I kind of just like absorbed like the bel canto tradition and then um I was homeschooled at some point because I wanted to focus on music instead of just like having academics dictate when I could work on music and so um as part of like study projects my sister and I would go to the library and we'd decide an opera to rent every week and we'd watch it um so like yeah from like the library because the library we were at had an extensive opera 
kind of collection. It's I like used a, to do that too. Oh my God, right? It was like the funnest thing, like <laughs> the, the most nerdy thing. And then also obviously the, the PBS, this was right before that they started broadcasting in theaters, but it was like then, um, and then they have it on PBS for you to watch. And so that would kind of right. be like movie nights, like watching the operas and then on the radio, if the opera was interesting on the radio, I'm not, I'm not going to listen to the whole thing on the radio. Sorry, no. unpopular opinion. <laughs> Too long. Anyway, um, so kind of like, <laughs> no, it's true. Agreed. It's, it's no, really totally fucking agreed. long. Oh my God. <laughs> four dinner breaks in the middle of the story. It's too goddamn long, guys. Oh my God. And hashtag, we don't need Siegfried at all. Okay. We can just like skip that all together. Thank um, you. I'm like, I need a flow chart to follow who's got what relationship in this opera. Too many damn people. Too many. Too many. It's like, it's, um, there's actually this hilarious thing on YouTube. I forget the name of the comedian who did it, but it was the ring cycle in 20 minutes. Have you seen oh, that? Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's my, it's, it's kind of the best thing ever. It's like, it's amazing. It's like, it's like <laughs> the ring. Fantastic. If the, if the ring cycle was like, um, if that was the ring cycle, it'd be like my favorite piece, but it's not. But that, anyway, it's on YouTube. Go check it out. Um, so basically <laughs> from there, um, then I went to my undergrad and I mm. wanted to always do an opera in the Paul the House of Usher. Right after I saw Figaro, um, I was on that field trip that you go on if you're not, if your parents don't allow you to go to the cabin in the woods for a week. So they like take you on day trips um, because my parents didn't want me to go. Oh. I know. So like one of the day trips was to this <laughs> damn theater. And so it was like play theatrical versions of The Fall of the House of Usher, Charlotte's Web, and Amelia Bedelia. I what really got I know what the fuck? It's like so right there. But being the fucked up motherfucker I am, I like gravitated towards the fall of the house of Usher. I was like, oh my God, this story looks so cool. Like with all the lighting and stuff. I was like, I wanna I wanna compose an opera based on this. And I was like eleven at the time. Didn't have the fucking tools to do it. Then I wrote my first opera when I was fifteen. And I tried to start a fall of the house of Usher, but I wasn't I mean, I don't know. First operas are like hit or miss. I'm one composer who like will never, I'll make sure my first opera never sees the light of day uh, just because it was <laughs> kind of a hot mess. Uh, but <laughs> it was. That's why no one, no one performs anything from it. So the fall of the House of Usher then, when I went to my undergrad, I then like came back to that. I'm like, okay, now I have, I have more time. I'm also older yeah. and like, and I just came back to that and sort of it was like the first work I wrote after I came out too. And like that work, I really looked at a queer relationship between the friend and Roderick Usher. For those of you who don't know The Fall of the House of Usher, short story by Edgar Allan Poe, friend visits Roderick Usher who has a twin sister, Lady Madeline, and there's a weird disease and the house falls in at the end. And there's a lot of things that go on. But what I wanted to do in my adaptation was like, look at it from a queer perspective. So kind of after coming out and having that epitome, it kind of opened up also the sound world for that in a way that I guess it wouldn't have before. So that kind of led me to my, so I, I kind of consider like the Fall of the House of Usher to be my first opera, even though it's my second. And then from there, the rest is, as they say, her story. Well, I love the Speaking horror of- opera genre. I wish there were more horror operas. Yeah. I think I- it's such a perfect genre for horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. You were saying, Joe, I'm so sorry. Oh. I didn't mean to cut you off. I know. I was just going to ask Felix about 
his experience coming out, I we are doing our Pride concert with Felix's yeah. music in June, and I just wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience um, being queer. Yeah, so I, I came out as gay when I was 19. Um, it was sort of like, it was a... It wasn't, it wasn't like super easy, but, um, you know, I have a lot of support from friends and family and sort of like it, 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 it happened sort of, I didn't, I never did like the one thing, like some people do where they like come out in one post. I sort of like came out to individual people one-on-one because, you know, you could do that before COVID. You could like meet up with people and like talk to them. <laughs> Uh, yeah now you just have to make an instagram video i guess or i know something. now now is yeah um and tiktok or whatever and sort of that's how i did it it sort of like didn't it wasn't like oh i had this because you um i guess one one therapist put it out to me in a way it's like you come out for the rest of your life because you're always introduced to new people who might not know you or you know especially you know, even several years ago when the world was not as openly queer friendly as it is today, you know, you know, so having that kind of aspect, I think, kind of made that a thing because usually coming out's like, a, you know, I mean, the trope is so overplayed in fucking media about people coming out. It kind of makes me yeah. sick. Like, I, I actually like, as a rule, don't really watch things with a huge coming out story because it's such a old damn trope. I'm just kind of tired of it. But like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it also can be quite painful for people right. to talk about and it's like it yeah. can be exactly. but um for me it made it kind of in a way sort of saved my life in a way where I could like accept who I was be true to it and just figure out my shit which I still am to this day just like as part of it because it's just one part of me I mean I, you know like and I of course and it's like you know it's it's but it's a huge part of me and it's who I am. And um, I celebrate that. It's been really, it's sometimes difficult. You do run into homophobes. I was in Catholic school for about a year in elementary school. And that was when I was very closeted and in a lot of denial. So there was a lot of bullying and stuff, but um, it was, it's like, I mean, I, I, I truly believe what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and you grow from experiences in life. Like, I feel like because, I don't know, I, I sent this text by Rilke recently and I kind of agree with it in a lot of ways. I'm not spiritual, but like you experience life. There's no good or bad. There's just life. And you're the only person that can know that. And so I approach that kind of with how I've experienced everything because I've had to deal with a lot of trauma and a lot of bad shit, but I've also had a lot of really amazing, wonderful times I'll cherish for the rest of my life so far. So I kind of like take it all as it comes and just like process it that way because life's a lot, man, especially as an artist, especially like after last year, you know, grief's a bitch, like loss is a bitch. Like I've had to do, I've had to deal with so much. Um, So kind of like having like a belief in yourself and who you are and also like art like you know like music that's what that's what like helps make it you know a li- like it helps you just like get up in the morning to do things and so yeah yes wow oh my god that was amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it kind of went deep for a minute <laughs> i got goosebumps <laughs> yeah same 
Um, so tell us what you're most looking forward to that's coming up for you. Well, um, I am so excited about the Pride concert. Um, uh, that's going to be yeah. next week um, with CORE, um, 8 p.m. Eastern on June 24th. Um, it's going to be um, <laughs> with uh, Tracy Cox, who I haven't met. Uh, but uh, we have mutual friends and I love her, everything she stands for and what she does. And then also Joe Butel, who's like one of my really frequent collaborators and just kind of like, like my big brother from another mother. So like, it's been like really fun to work on. Yeah. I'm like, it's like super, I'm like super excited. It's like, it's, it's a concert that like means a lot to me and also the pieces on it. Um, it features songs of the sea, which I wrote, um, for my master's recital two years ago. Uh, and I, that features text by Longfellow, Hawthorne and Melville. And then, um, there is a song cycle I wrote text for and music for called Obads, which are sort of like daytime love songs, which I wrote last year. What, because like I thought last year was like going to be like the year where I started smiling in my headshots before COVID hit. And it ended up being just like a really shitty year. But the Obads were like fun and upbeat because my music tends to be a bit dark. And then, uh, so Joe will be singing those two smaller sets. And then Tracy's going to sing a set called Songs of the Coppice Gate which uh, takes uh, poetry of Thomas Hardy from Poems of the Past and Present, which really deal with a lot of mental health, the end of things, death, depression. Mm -hmm. And also um, there's a queer twist in one of the songs because um, it's, uh, it's um, Hardy translated a poem of Heine and Heine was a homophobe. So I made the song really gay and it's talking about like a last love that's a girl and I gave it to a soprano to sing. So I was like, okay, fuck you, Heine. So um, <laughs> I know. And uh, the biggest song, the biggest song in the set is a song called "The Darkling Thresh," and it's kind of like that's really the poem is a lie. It, it's about seeing a bird throw itself at joy, and that brings you into the most deep despair you've ever had. And it's about talking about the end of things and the coming. He wrote it at the turn of the twentieth uh, century, so it's like talking about it from that perspective. So I'm. Very, very excited about that. And then right before that, um, on the 22nd, um, Joe and mm -hmm. I have another set we're premiering. It's called The Lost Bagatelles. I wrote this set, well, I wrote this set um, basically in right after my 26th birthday. Um, so like late April, um, early May. And, uh -huh. But the thing was, I had this text around for a really long... So I one thing about me is like I use my notes on my iPhone a lot and I, I just I, I constantly save Google Docs and text. Text I'll never use but I just write and I had all these different lyrics from all these different projects that became different things and so they're kind of like all these lost things that come together to kind of like talk about like how through laws of relationship or like family woes you kind of find solace in friendship. So it's like, yeah. yeah, like a different twist on like kind of the pride, um, uh, like the pride um, kind of uh, thing that happens, you know, because usually I wanted to like do something that was like a different kind of twist on it. And so, yeah, I, I kind of dove deep, deep into my journals and uh, like created like this really short set that, you know, has a lot of things that are relatable. I mean, it's not as explicitly personal maybe as some other, as some other stuff, but it is, it, it really, it, it is still personal. I don't know. That doesn't make sense. But those two things I'm very, very excited about. And then on July How 1st. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry. 
I was just going to ask, how can we watch The Lost Bag of Tells? So The Lost Bag, okay. So um, it's going to be a private live stream. There is a link and people can DM me on Instagram if they want to get it. So there's no like, yeah. So it's it's sort of, it's like been sort of like one of those things that I've sort of had to learn. Oh, where do I go see it? Because it's going to be like a very, but uh, yes, it'll be available for viewing that way. And um I'll okay. pass along the link to you guys when I have it so that you can watch. Oh, the please do. I would love to watch it. Yes. Yeah. 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 What, are you, what are you doing on July 1st? Uh, July 1st, the audio of my opera, the Washington Square, uh, is going to premiere as a podcast first act and then the month after the second. So uh, we're still working wow. out the details on how that will be distributed, but please look at my social media for um, details. And I forgot, on June 19th with No Dominion Theater, another song cycle I wrote would be called Equinox with uh, mezzo-soprano Joanna Pope, who's a dear friend of mine who I love working with. She's fabulous. That is going to premiere virtually with No Dominion Theater Company. And you can find information on how to view that on their Instagram. It's going to be the 19th this coming Saturday at... 12 p.m. noon eastern so yeah this month is crazy with things so i'm like oh what's coming up what's not i'm just like uh (laughs) that's amazing i love that you're so busy that's that brings me so much hope yes thank you i'm i'm really looking forward to like like sharing music because i it's i just i love doing it so it's like nice to finally have some things i'm like very 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 grateful (laughs) And I texted Felix this morning that he's going to be too famous to talk to us next year. Oh, I will always, I will always make time to talk to y'all. I will always. I know. I promise. Oh, okay. Likewise. Likewise. Do <laughs> Emily, do you have another question for Felix? Um, I did, but it was it was just really selfish. I wanted to know yeah. what's your current favorite piece you've ever written. Oh my god. Uh, it is wow that's can can we pick like a genre um just to, because like uh, it's because sure. it's, <laughs> it's just like 10 operas and like at this point like almost 150 songs it's like it's a lot like what like is there a okay how about this is there a piece you've written that you've never seen performed that you would really like to see performed oh my god i i do have projects coming up that haven't been performed yet but are going to be but I can't talk about them but I can tell you like for example one of my favorite songs uh from the stuff coming up can I talk about a few of them coming up and why they're my favorite is that a oh yes absolutely they're great great so um the songs of the sea um at the core um I'm very I'm very fond of the last one it's called the ocean and it's the poetry by Nathaniel Hawthorne Hawthorne's not really known for his poetry I love that piece Oh, Sorry. thank you. No, I, I love that poem a lot. And what that, that yeah. song cycle, it uses the ocean as a metaphor for death and like how life comes to an end, but in a way that mm-hmm. isn't, it's not horror that it's sort of like life is a cycle and the cycle comes to an end at some point. And that, and so that, that, that poem has always stayed with me. And then I also really like, um, what what song? Uh, what song am I thinking about? Um, sometimes green from the Obads, um, because I kind of got to play with mm-hmm. a mix of a musical theater style, but also experiment with like harmony, which was really really fun. And then um, 
there's a song in the last bag bagatelles called grateful which is kind of about just gratitude for friendship and sort of just you know just having having after two songs talking about loss you have something that you found that like you that won't go away which is like something that like gives you solace so i feel like those are my favorite ones and then also darkling thrush which i mentioned so those four from the stuff going on now are like kind of the standouts for me oh i love it thank you for sharing that of yeah course. Um, so I have a couple of questions that I like to ask our interviewees and one of them is what aren't you good at? Oh, so many things. Um, I am, (laughs) I just pick one, just pick one. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm horrible at, uh, cooking, uh, casserole. (laughs) I can't cook a casserole to save my life. I don't know how. What's. (laughs) <laughs> what's something uh someone would be surprised to learn about you um i someone who doesn't know me i think they'd be surprised to know that i'm i have a very savage sense of humor that i kind of like yeah it's I, i'm just extremely savage and like a little a little bit cunty but i, I you know. <laughs> a little bit <laughs> Um, and what do you do when you have to face a problem you've never solved before? Um, take a shot of vodka. <laughs> oh my God, Felix, we need to hang out more. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you're my kind of people. I know, take, take like three seconds, have a shot, and be like, I can deal with this later. <laughs> I that sounds like a everything. tomorrow problem. Right? <laughs> tomorrow. Felix, how do you feel like you're changing the world? Um, well, the world is so vast and what I do is for such a small part of it. I feel like as long as I'm doing something that brings myself and the people around me happiness and good energy, that goes a long way in a world where there's a lot going on. That's really fucked up. Yes. Snaps. Great answer. Yeah. Yeah. I have to tell you. Emily, did you have? Yeah. I just, I just love how... Everything is um, very authentic with you. Everything is very, you know, you're following your own bliss and your own curiosity. And if something comes along the way, then great. And if it doesn't, that's not the point. I love that. I think, I don't know. That's very authentic to me. Thank you. That's really, that's also something you have to like get used to in this industry because it's, there's so, there's so, I mean, singers can relate to this, but like with composers too, it's so cutthroat. There's so many things that come up. There's so many rejections or things you get or don't get. And like, you have to learn how to deal with that criticism, all this stuff, like different personalities. Like you sort of at one point have to just like throw your hands up, like acknowledge your self-worth and keep doing what you're doing and keep the people around you that, you know, keep you in check and the rest just fucking happens or doesn't. I mean, that's honestly what I've had to learn like through the hard way, but you know. Yeah. Keep the people around you who support you yeah. and who are interested in what you're doing and who you're interested in what they're doing. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. My new my new motto is no more assholes. I don't want to work with or have to be around any more assholes post-COVID. And that Dude. whole thing where we were like, we'll just suck it up and it'll be fine because it's over. So, no, I'm not doing it anymore. That's, no. that's the most important thing in a collaborator. Like I don't, at the end of the day, care how great you are at something. If you're a dick, I don't want to work with you. 
Yes. Like I'm exactly. really, I'm really big on that because there's, as I said, it's not like there's a, a lot of money in what we do or stuff. There's a lot of personal satisfaction or growth. And that comes from being around people that support you. That being said, I want people who know how to do their damn job, but I'm not going to work with right. someone who's like an asshole, who's like manipulative. And I like, I've been around a lot of toxic situations. So I've had to learn how to deal with that, but it's, it's so important. And I don't think enough people say it because like, all the abuse that goes on in the industry, particularly in opera, is very hush-hush. Yep. And I feel mm-hmm. like uh, post-COVID, a lot of people are trying to gaslight themselves back into this happy-go-lucky. I mean, we'll just look at what's coming on. <laughs> jo- Joanna and I were talking about this earlier, but I said, really? We've had the worst year in the world and that we can all remember in human existence in the arts. And as we come out of COVID, the music man, that was the best we could do, guys. That's what we would yeah. put on Broadway? Okay. Yeah. No, it's like, it's, yeah. Well, there's so many things with that. That's a whole other discussion about like how backwards it is because. um, I know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like, this wasn't, I guess what also got me through this year was that this actually wasn't the worst year of my life. The worst year of my life was the year I lost my father in 2016. So this has been like, so that kind of also like put perspective. So, and also helped me like, separate myself from all like the toxicity that goes on especially on like Facebook you know with those Facebook groups with like all the opera stuff like it's great to see people doing stuff but sometimes I just like want to delete myself off of them I get gigs from them and I like I can't wait for the day where I don't have to do that yep I am so worth I'm I'm completely with you yeah (laughs) this has been delightful thank you This is fine. You really, we can, we can you like really are episode. Just yeah, you really are a spectacular person and and a wonderful collaborator. We are so lucky to have you on our season. I'm so excited for this concert on Thursday and to hear the rest of all of your concerts for the rest of the year. So yeah. thank you for joining thank us. You. Definitely stay in touch. We want to follow you and, and listen to everything that's coming out. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Seven City Podcast. Our producer is Elijah Lee. Join us for Pride on June 24th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. Tickets can be purchased on our website with the help of Payby. If you'd like to support Core Productions, find donation options on our website, coreproductions.org. Thank you again for listening.